What is evil? Why does it seem so pervasive on our planet right now? And do we really understand evil's purpose? Right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Hi everyone, Alexis Brooks here from Higher Journeys. So glad that you're able to join me today. My guest, Alex Sikiris, host of the well-known podcast, Skeptico, joined me to discuss this very big subject, these very big questions. It's a subject that he tackled head-on in his brand new book, Why Evil Matters. Now, at first blush, you might think that this will be a dark discussion, and I have to tell you, it's anything but. Alex and I, in what I would call uh, less of a typical interview format, more of a back-and-forth conversation, really go into the idea of this entity, not entity, but this idea that we think of as evil, the opposite of good, as being bigger than a force in and of itself. All sorts of angles we tackled from from a consciousness perspective, from the idea of evil as a measurement or a way of understanding and extricating the light from the shadow. In other words, as I'm sure you've heard, how can we know how brilliant the light is if we have not glimpsed the shadow? So this is how we approach the subject. Again, not dark at all. Of course, when you hear that, the E word, as I like to call it, evil, you think, my God, this is about, uh, this is about really uh, focusing on the negative, and it's not. It's really, frankly, the opposite. So I hope you will hang with me. Uh, it was a fantastic conversation. I always enjoy uh, talking to Alex. I call him my namesake. And really think for yourself as to how you would frame this idea of evil and what we can do about it, what we can learn from it. Most importantly, how we can learn how brilliant the light truly is because it's there and it shines bright, even in the midst of what we call darkness, a lot of darkness that's going on right now. So I hope you'll join us for this show. Before I let you go, and we get into the show, I would just like to remind you to please, if you enjoy Higher Journeys, we would appreciate a subscribe, a thumbs up if you like the episode, all the episodes in fact, and by all means, weigh in with your comments, as I know you all do. So let's get on with the show. My conversation with Alex Sakiris. Alex Sakiris. <laughs> beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. Hey everybody, y'all know this guy right here? If you don't know the name, you should, because you probably know the name Skeptico, spelled with two Ks, just like in his last name. Alex Sakiris. I'm so glad you're here. I always call you my namesake. <laughs> you're my namesake. And he, by the way, is a admitted journeyer. So we're happy to have a, 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 a official journeyer on the, on the show today. Alex, a pleasure to have you. Oh, it's it's great to have you, Alexis. And, you know, you were on my show uh, a while ago and I was just so excited because I love what you bring and I love your journalistic integrity as well. So super excited to be here. Mutual admiration society. Look who's talking. <laughs> you are, in fact, a very good journalist. And I didn't know, not that I'm surprised, but you're an equally excellent writer. And we're going to be talking about this writing of yours today. This, uh, how can we start? I said, I didn't want to use the word evil too much, but how can we not when the name of your book is Why Evil Matters? Is it a question you know, or is it a statement? You know, even the way you, I love the way you framed it up because the first response I got from people when I started talking about the book was along this lines of, well, is this evil? What about this? And, you know, I really don't want to go there. The, the, the premise which you got in the way you phrased that was, what if we just ask the question, why evil matters? Why have we not framed up how our society is treating evil? Like from a scientific perspective, evil doesn't exist. Evil is a social construct. There's no reality to quote unquote evil. That is from a science perspective. And then, you know, overwhelmingly from a religious perspective, what we hear is a very narrow definition of evil. Oh yeah, pal. 
I'll tell you what evil is. Let me haul out my little book here from 2000 years ago. And this right here is all that evil is. So, you know, the subtitle of the book is how science and religion fumbled a big one. This is a big question. We all feel like it's a, it's extremely pertinent to us all right now. What's going on with this evil thing? And I'm challenging us to take a fresh look at asking that question. Even before we have to answer it, we have to ask it. You know, does evil matter? Is it even something we need to mm. consider? Here's the first thing that came to mind. I, I tend to call myself a, a, a wordsmith, but the etymology of words included, I, I, I find the roots of words very interesting, very revealing. But when I first saw the title to your book, Alex, Why Evil Matters, I what came to mind is why evil matters materializes matters materializes how can we go from a concept into something that can be even tangible i want to get into the idea of tulpas down the line i was really interested to see that you brought that up we're going to get into that uh down the line but i want to say this up front for the journeyers you might be thinking oh my god this is going to be dark this is going to be we don't need any more <laughs> darkness 2020 has been just a proverbial dark night of, of the global soul. This is not a dark book, I don't think. From Even from my doing a quick power read, haven't had a chance to go through the whole thing yet, but I can see that you are asking some very, very um, paradigm-changing, life-altering questions. <sighs> this is a book about understanding, really, the light through transmuting yes. the yes. dark. I'm going to just get cut to the chase and then we can get into the meat of it. But I want to here I want to give you some other thoughts that came to mind initially. And what I think you may be getting to in this book. Think of a, a medicinal concoction or a virus. And oftentimes the cure lives within the virus. A homeopathic remedy you got to have a little bit of the virus in order to get the cure. Just like with the word evil, when you spell it backwards, what do you get? Right. Live. Life is in perhaps understanding why evil matters. I had to get that out. Take it from there. Oh, uh, you, you touched on so many awesome points that I, I, I swear I didn't even realize until I was done with the project. Have you ever experienced that? Because you're a writer as well, that you, you don't fully understand until you're done that, that that's what it's about. I think your point about the relationship between materialism and materializing evil is an awesome point and one that I learned during this, this process. And we might even talk about Dr. Tom Zinzer, who is a clinical psychologist from Grand Rapids, Michigan, who was nice enough during my, you know, years of, few years of putting this together, writing me a nice email, like I'm sure you get these emails once in a while. And he was, Alex, you're great. I loved your show, but you don't have a clue about what you're talking about with evil. Let me tell you what I've learned and the difference between darkness and evil. And he proceeded to tell me how that darkness is this force, which we should just understand as something that the light allows. Because again, I think your point, I, I just completely sync with what you're saying, Alexis, and that it's really all about the light. The darkness is there as a, a, a relief, a way to uh, contrast what we're in in this game, but it real the game is really about the light. But that doesn't mean that darkness doesn't exist and that darkness can't be very, very heavy. And it doesn't mean that we can be drawn what we can be drawn into the darkness and we can be drawn to evil. You know, one of the chapters in the book that I always bring people's attention to because I don't want to be totally out there in the airy fairy world is my interview with Annika Lucas, who mm -hmm. is, and I connected with Annika because she's a super brilliant person. She's into yoga. I'm really into yoga. She started the, what does she call it? Liberation Prison Yoga up in upstate New York, where she helps incarcerated women through yoga kind of deal with trauma and stuff like that. But my real purpose for connecting with Annika is that she was sold by her mother 
at six years old to a satanic ritual abuse cult. This is the one in Belgium that you might have heard about in the 90s, the Dutroux cult. It came out that they were infiltrated by the top, top uh, world leaders in Europe that were identified. And Annika says that she can identify these people. But imagine her mother at six years old. Her mother was mentally, you know, it's not a, a, a sound person that does that to her child. Right. And yet it's not an isolated incident. And we're learning that too, part of the bigger picture of how pervasive what we call evil can be. But continue. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the reason that I bring it up and, and you get this, is that we do have a tendency to want to look away from this thing called evil. And when someone really slams it in your face, like I just did really nicely, but you still got it. This woman was raped a thou thousands of times, six years old. That I think kind of, if you're of the, is there evil, you know, can we really call it evil? No, now we can kind of look at one thing and say, okay, I get it. There is evil. I may not understand what it is. I may need to kind of figure out those things, which is what I'm calling for. But that kind of shakes us to our core and says, okay, there is something beyond just not good things. Particularly, and, and this is where, again, your uh, ability to travel with your journeyers to all these different topics will we'll let you know where I'm coming from. To me, the key is the extended consciousness realms, right? So we're in this realm, we're talking, but we understand there are these other realms that seem to transcend time and space. And it's interesting that some of these people we encounter that are doing these things that we would identify with evil seem to be wanting to connect with that extended realm. So uh, we, we can talk about this because we have to be careful with the terms we use. We can't yes. just label it all as satanic as much as we might want to, and then push us back to the Bible. We Again, uh, we have to start deconstructing this in a more thoughtful, a more comprehensive way and saying, can we start understanding, must we start understanding what is in this extended consciousness realm? What is this evil? And again, as you so beautifully and much more succinctly than I put, what is our role in that? What is our own shadow in that? How is our own shadow being revealed in all these mm -hmm. acts? And was Annika, as some people will tell you, and I don't want to dismiss this, but I don't want to advocate it either. Is Annika living through a karmic debt in what she's done here. Some people in between lives research will tell you that. I am very resistant to go there because in this time and in this place, I would hate to kind of do the play, blame the victim game because that's absolutely absurd. But you get what I'm saying. When I we do. can look broader, we can start asking these questions as that is a legitimate topic of inquiry that, that never gets exposed because we get stuck. On a much more, I, I suppose, benign level, you could apply that to this idea. A lot of new age uh, researchers feel that every moment that we live and the fact that we came here when we did was contracted by us in agreement. I don't know that I agree or disagree. I'm jury's still out as far as I'm concerned because I think it's far more uh, complex. There are a lot of nuances there that I just haven't been able to meet out yet. However, I think it's essentially the same thing that says that everything that we do, every breath that we take, every word that we speak, every act of heinousness, if that's a word that happens to us, is at some level created by us, including what's going on right now. I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm saying that's a, a point of discussion. And I'm saying that I so agree with you. And if we put that in contrast to how we are generally taught to approach this topic, there's a huge contradiction there. Because uh, again, 
the, the basic premise, go back to the basic premise. What does evil mean to people who are of a logical slash scientific mindset? They mean that, that you're nuts. It doesn't mean anything. Are you crazy? Or, or they'll, they'll be polite and they'll say, yeah, that's a social construct. We can talk about it collectively and decide as a, as a community, you know, what things should be done and drone striking and this and that. And, we're, and you and I are going, well, no, 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 we're, we're, we're kind of reaching for something different. We're saying, is there a fundamental truth to it? You know, one of the things I share in the book, and there's this gentleman, and he's really, really a, 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 a nice guy. He's not only a nice guy, he's very accomplished Ohio State University religion pr professor, and his name is uh, Dr. Urban. And I interviewed him because he had written a very, uh, Hugh Urban is his name. He's written a very good book, very well-received book on Scientology. So most of us understand that Scientology is a cult. We don't have to go, you know, it just kind of passes the basic test of a cult, you know, you don't have to dance around. But within, people may not know this, but within religious studies departments, this is like kind of a debated topic, whether we could really call these, they call them, I don't know if you know this phrase, Alexis, they call them new religious movements, <laughs> which is a very subtle way of saying, you know, they're all cults, you know, and there might be some truth to that, but it's kind of skirting the issue, I think, to cause, to call new religious movements like Scientology, to not call them cult. Anyways, back to Dr. Urban, he's done extensive research and he knows the origins of uh, Scientology and he knows that L. Ron Hubbard, and he revealed this as something that he researched and found, that L. Ron Hubbard is out in the desert with um, the famous rocket scientist, Jack Parsons, mm -hmm. and they are doing a, 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 a magic occult invocation in order to bring forth the whore of Babylon so yes. that they can bring in the Antichrist into this world, right? I'm familiar and, with that, yeah. And his response when I pushed him on that was to say, well, Alex, I've seen a lot of you know strange things and it doesn't matter uh, whether it's true or not. It only matters what they believe. And I said, no, Dr. Urban, you got it 100% wrong. The first thing that we have to understand, we have to get to the bottom of, is there any possibility that there is any reality to what they were doing? Is it possible that there are extended consciousness realms and that they are connecting with them? Now, I'm not saying there is or not. I'm just saying you are incorrect in your logic there, that the first thing we would have to do is we would have to know whether there's any reality to that before we say, well, it doesn't matter if there's any reality to that. Because if there is a reality to that, then mm -hmm. that becomes a totally different issue. Particularly, and this is, you know, you guys know this, but when we look at MK Ultra. When we look at uh, Stargate and MKUltra more broadly, we were, as the United States Intelligence Organization, actively trying to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So we obviously thought there was something to it. We thought that there was some ability to connect with this extended realm, even if we don't totally know it, and connect with spirits in order to affect this material world. So. A, a long, long story, but but a, a way of saying, how has academia so completely dropped the ball to say it doesn't matter if it's real? To me, the fundamental question is, is there any reality to it? And I don't have to take a position to ask that question. So I want to ask you a question. I noticed that you're using the term extended, extended consciousness and extended reality. Are you, Alex, essentially, I don't want to oversimplify, but are you relegating what we're calling evil exclusively to these extended realms? Or, I mean, I, I look at it, and this is, it's a complex question that I'm probably oversimplifying, because when I think of extended consciousness, and I think of these extended realms, I'm assuming that you're talking about that which is in the, uh, what would we call it, other dimensional realm outside of the visible spectrum that we are used to navigating. I, I happen to feel, and I don't like using the word belief. Belief implies doubt to me. I've experienced things that I can clearly relegate 
to something that's outside of the framework that I'm used to. I, and I'm, I'm very cautious with my words. But I think what lives there is as diverse as what lives here, both good, evil, and everything in between. Just I your would, thoughts on that. I would, again, 100% completely agree with you. And I think it is a very, very deep point that you're making. And I'd relate to it in a couple of ways. One, as below, so above. You know, everyone says as above, so below. It's also what you're alluding to. As below, so above. You want to look for creepy evilness? We can all go to our, right outside our door, you know, and a few blocks away, and we can find people who are subjecting themselves to that or subjecting other people to that. So totally agree with you. I think where I sometimes draw this line of extended consciousness realms it, it, it is that, you know, when I first got started with this whole thing 10 years ago plus, I was interested in the just the basic question of consciousness because I don't know if people know this or not, but science, mainstream science, where we send our kids to school, when we hand them off to that teacher, what they will learn is that consciousness, your minute-by-minute -minute experience is an illusion. It is an epiphenomenon of your brain. It is something that your brain is kicking out as a reaction to just this neuronal firing. That is not true. That is philosophically absurd, and it's experimentally been true, proven to be not true again and again. It took me a long time to realize that there's a conspiratorial aspect to how science has jammed that down our throat. But I guess, Alexis, what I'm saying is I get so locked into explain you to people that consciousness is real, that that minute by minute experience that you're having is really the only thing you can be sure of. <laughs> you know, you know that you are in there. You don't know if I'm out here. You don't know if you're talking to a robot, but you know that you're having that minute by minute experience. And the fact that science has been able to legitimize and, and take this thing that consciousness may be an illusion so that's my starting point. So I kind of draw this, this line there between saying that's the conscious, that's consciousness. That's what neuro, the neuroscience department is talking about. That's what the consciousness studies people are talking about. They're, now, they're not brave enough to go to the next level, which we're talking about on a regular basis, uh -huh. which is, well, uh -huh. what are you doing with ET? What are you doing with near-death experience? What are you doing with out-of-body travel? What are you doing with between lives? What are you doing with after-death communication, which 66% of people who've lost a loved one say they experience? And what are you doing? What are you doing with all that stuff? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to call that extended consciousness so mm -hmm. that we don't get confused with just the minute by minute experience, which you deny even happens. Did you say is an illusion? You know, uh, so do you get where I'm coming from with that? I, I absolutely get where you're coming from. And I think that's a rabbit hole that I'm, I'm tempted to go down. And I don't know if, if I should, but I will say this, Alex, is, this is an opinion. I'm going to take off my journalistic hat for a minute after I after we were talking offline, I'm like, I'm an objective journalist. I, I can have opinions on occasion. I have always suspected that one of the reasons why we deny these extended realms, let me stop, let me not say we, science in general, is that there is a facet of science that knows damn well that not only is it real, it's used. And the narrative to detract or uh, relegate it to the nut house. There's a plan to keep people in the dark about how potent and real it really is. I'm going to say that on the record. I felt I that could, from day one. I couldn't agree more. I think it's just, again, it, it's, it's quite a profound point because what you're saying is extremely conspiratorial and a lot of people, it is. Even, even people within your community, I'm sure, are, you know, kind of, recoil a little bit at those ideas of conspiracies at that level. But I think we need to always, especially with where we're at now, we need to be open to at least investigating that. And I'd approach it from two ways. The first way I'd do is just kind of practical because I'm a, I was a businessman. That was my thing. You know, I was a money oriented guy 
was raised, you know, in a family that said, go out there and make a buck and do that. And I did that. And I was always interested in all these bigger questions, but I put all that on the side because I want to be in a different world and, and, and that's okay, but it gives me a certain sensibility. And the way I guess that relates to this is that, you know, if I wanted to control things, I would want you to feel that you are meaningless and in a meaningless universe. Mm -hmm. That would be better for me than for you to have this expanded, <laughs> extended idea of the magnificence of what you could be. I That wouldn't really work into my plan as well as the first, which is to say, hey, Alexis, you're really a biological robot in a meaningless universe, and here's all my science to prove it, and please do not speak up because I have all this paper after Don't paper, bother. and I'm just right. going to shut bother. you down. But I want to also bring up the second point that you made is that they know it. Because I referenced MK Ultra a minute ago, and I think everyone knows MK Ultra. I don't have to bring it up again. But Project Stargate, I always bring up in connection with MK Ultra because it's been sanitized at this point to the point where people think, oh, well, that was a nice little project that Hal put off and Russell Targ were doing up there at Stanford Research. But their boss, was the boss of the MK Ultra program. They were in the MK Ultra program. And the point of that really is they were presupposing that consciousness is not an illusion by any means and it is not an epiphenomenon of the brain. That was their that that wasn't even on the table for them to investigate. They knew more than that. And if you interview like have have you had um Joseph Joseph McMonagle on the show. I have not. I know someone that knows uh, Joe McMonagle quite well. He, um, he he would be someone you might enjoy talking to at, sure. at some point. Yeah, psychic spy number zero zero one. Yes, yeah. In the Stargate program, I actually narrated a book. Uh, shout out to Trish and Rob McGregor who wrote the book um, Phenomena. Phenomena. Uh oh. I, I only narrated the book and forgot the name, Phenomena. It's a fantastic book. But they go into, they're actually quite friendly with uh, both McMonagles, he and his wife, I believe she's still alive, uh, and talk about that that uh, number uh, categorization he had, that uh, code he had. Very interesting. Yeah. Like 007. Trish yeah. and Rob are awesome. I so I Have you had them on? I have, and I've been on their show as as well. And oh, fantastic! I consider them friends. So well, we have that in common as well. I just talked to Trish the other day. Yeah, they're terrific. So yeah, they're right. friends with the McMonagles. They, they they tell a great story in the book, a phenomena about going on a on a trip. Uh, I think they were planning a a weekend getaway in Florida, and Joe used his remote viewing skills to uh, forecast a major storm i'm trying to think was did he say that the storm was going to hit hard or not at all whatever it was trish and rob both challenged him and said i don't believe you something happened and, and it worked out that what he had forecasted did not happen so this is very interesting get that book I mean, phenomenon it's great yeah yeah i'll have to check that out i mean th those two have written 100 books yeah i can't get over that how do you write 100 books that's what they do they're brilliant writers I was so honored to narrate that. That was fun. That's a great book for, for those that were kind of digressing a little bit, but talking about extra, uh, uh, ex what do you call it? Extended consciousness. That's what this book is about and all the things that live there. So again, kind of circling back to, to our point and a point that I think we agree on is that uh, one of the biggest secrets is that the narrative has been since time immemorial, I think, to diminish the importance of these realms from the masses uh, in order to keep, it's been said a million ways and a million times, powerless while they're carrying on their their acts with the utmost religion, religiosity. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Let's be clear. This is what's going on. Uh, and, and, so. and to add to that, you know, we don't even... We don't even have to imagine that they have much of a plan about what they're going to do with their acts. I look at it from just a practic pragmatic standpoint is like, okay, I need to control the population. So I don't need them messing things up. So let's just keep them on this 
you're a biological robot and meaningless universe. So now uh, beyond that, where I want to go with it, whether how dastardly I want to get is kind of fair game because you know, like Joe McMonagle, the, the thing I like about his story, cause he's kind of an interesting guy. Like you're saying, you know, you, you can't pigeonhole him one way or another way, but I don't know if you remember this from the book. He had a near death experience. You, the, the thing about Joe, just tell a little bit of the story. He was a spy spy. He was in Eastern Germany on the Eastern Western Germany uh, border. And he's in a restaurant and he got poisoned by his East German counterparts. I mean, that's like a spy novel. It sure is. Wow. So he's grasping on his throat because the poison's hitting him and he's losing his breath and he collapses in the doorway of the restaurant. Boom. He flies out of his body. He sees his army buddies because he's in the army. They come and they grab him. They throw him in a Jeep and they're trying to get him to the hospital. He's outside of his body. He's having a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Years later, he's now with Russell Targ and Hal Putoff interviewing to become this remote viewer, psychic spy. And he said he didn't tell them anything about this, but they open up his secret file, employment file, and they pull out Raymond Moody's book. Oh my God. Raymond Moody, wow. the famous wow. near-death experience. Life so a, our point that we're making is these guys were totally, they taught, this is like, guys, this is 1978. They're they're like oh yeah uh, consciousness uh, is just a product of the brain. They are light years beyond that. Yeah, they're looking at uh, near death experience and how it relates to remote viewing and psychics. And they have their uh, occult people over here who are predicting. They're doing all this stuff, and that's where the game is really being played. And as you're alluding to, they're uh, for the rest of us. They're feeding us this crap. And they're jamming it down our kids because they want to keep the lid on, literally, the lid on our head in terms of expanding who we are. I don't think that's working anymore. Let's take this back to the consciousness side of this, Alex, because I think this is very important and certainly timely with uh, what's going on right now. I don't know if you've heard any of my conscious commentary uh, uh, segments in particular where I've really been pushing the envelope when it comes to the fact that we're living at a metaphysically potent time for whatever reason. I'm sure there's a science that might explain the energetics of what's going on right now. But whatever is triggering this, what's happening is the veil between the 3D and the everything else, I believe, is diminishing very quickly. And as a result, all of the things that even the layperson who could care less about these sorts of things we're talking about are now experiencing them. They're finding out for themselves. They don't need to be told whether it's true or not. I'm having people, I don't know about you, but I'm getting emails and comments from people from all over the world that are saying, Alexis, such and such happened to me. I floated out of my body. I felt something rise up from my solar plexus. I'm seeing triple digits all the time or repeating numbers. On and on it goes. Something is going on right now that not with every single person on the planet, but many more people than uh, heretofore. Uh, we're having these experiences, it's happening now. So perhaps that narrative will be moot on what they- you, you know, I'm intrigued by the the physical symptoms that you, because I've heard you, you talk about this and the physical symptoms that you're experiencing. And A I know that people. you're, and I know, I know that you're also tuning into this intentionally with this, intuitive consciousness thing. And I heard, you know, you're pulling tarot and stuff like that. I'm wondering where, and you warned me against asking questions. So Go I ahead. I know what's going to happen. You get one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love you, Alex. Go ahead. <laughs> so well, where, where are you on that? Where are you on that personally experiencing, trying to intuit what's going on there? Where am I on that? Yeah. How have you come down on it? Because I always hear you broaden it and say, I got other people are kind of saying the same mm -hmm. thing. And it's almost like, I'm, I feel like there's a, another part of it that you don't want to, you know, you're questioning, which I think is like awesome, but how sure are you that, um, that that's related to, cause I'm always, I want you to just 
see if you if you can untangle that mess. That I'm, I'm not. Sure. You're talking about how 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 resolute am I on the cause that's that maybe pushing the effect? If I could just sum up, is that what you're asking? Meaning partially, yeah. I'm, look, I'm looking at I'm looking at some of the not just physiological, but just just some of the synchronistic into intuitive intuitive and psychic activity that's been going on lately and I'm trying my best to put it in a framework that I can understand I don't understand frankly I just know that something has altered in our environment energetically somehow this is what I feel I never I, I try my best not to come at this from a left brain perspective, because I don't think it's possible, you know, um, but rather more of a philosophical and a feeling sense. I, so feel I, I really, I really, really love and respect the way that you pull up on that and the way that you analyze it. And again, it's that journalistic sensibility. And we so need that because, you know, to juxtapose that for a minute, one you know, the tagline of my show, Skeptico, is inquiry to perpetuate doubt. Yeah, I think doubt is a spiritual thing. When I talk to someone and things are settled for them, I'm always very suspicious. Mm -hmm. When I talk to mm -hmm. you and you say, I don't know, and I'm looking at it from this perspective, and, you know, this has changed my belief this way. And then I'm like, oh, my God, my soulmate, you know, <laughs> look at this. Well, you know, and I think I said this on your show as well, and we're, we're kind of going all over the map, but it, it's going where it needs to go. One thing that I try to make uh, a mainstay in my my exploration of reality, this walk, is something called humility. I think I brought this up on your show. I bring it, bring it up every chance I get. Humility, if you dare explore the true nature of reality, humility is a universal mandate. You may have heard me say that before. It's so true. When we approach these complex, complex, big questions with a sense of both reverence for not knowing and a sense of humility for its grandness, I believe the universe will meet you halfway. That's and that's the thing that just keeps me going. I, and I'm okay with saying, I don't know. I know there's something going on. I love to look at patterns and try to gather data, but I don't know that I do it with the intention of coming up with a definitive conclusion. That sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it? And anti-human even, but it's just the way I walk my walk. Well, you know, the other way that you walk your walk that I think we ought to explore because it's so central. Here we go, you're being it. an interviewer now. No, I'll <laughs> try not to. I'll try and pull it <laughs> But it's about the love and the light, you know, which you mentioned at the beginning. And it doesn't exactly, it takes a different kind of person to see that when we start off talking about evil and we talking about, you know, all these horrible things. But it is about, to me, you know, and this is something I can come down pretty firm on. It's about understanding at this deep level that we are more, we are not biological robots in a meaningless universe. We are this expanded consciousness, even if we don't know it and you're exploring it and I'm exploring it, we don't want to say we know what it is because we don't. Mm, right. But the other point is that we are good. Fundamentally, I get the sense. It just is so, I can feel it. Even when I say it, I feel it in my stomach. I feel it in my heart. We are fundamentally have the ability to choose good. And even if like all of us, we've had darkness and we've chosen darkness and maybe we haven't always done the best things. And maybe some people have done some bad things. Um, we can always choose good. We can always choose the light. And this is not just a, uh, uh, the sermon, it's what my research told me, you know, back to again, Tom Zinzer, who worked with people who had uh, experienced horrible ritual abuse and engaged in satanic practices. And he was dealing on that other dimensional level in terms of channeling and talking and working it into his therapeutic model, which I think is the next generation stuff that we need to do. We need people like that who says, hey, I'm not going to throw out 
clinical psychology work. What I'm going to do is marry that with this greater expanded understanding of what we can learn on the other realm. So he does that. And he says, like, one of the things I always try and work this in. If you think you've made some contract with some spirit entity that is evil and malevolent and is interfering with your life, what Tom has found over and over again is those contracts are non-binding. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. not real. Those guys are playing in a different world. The light is always there. The light is always redemptive. You can always choose the light. I'm not a Christian. I'm not religious. I'm someone who studied near-death experience, out-of-body experience, people that have had these. And that's what comes through over and over and over again. And the evidence is that the light is the real player in the game. And you can always go there. And if you have a near-death experience and it's a horrific near-death experience and you're in hell, look for a little pinhole of light up right. in the corner because you're probably going to find it. That's and right. you're probably going to find there's much greater lesson than the the evil that we do see and we cannot deny and 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 lessen or or lessen its importance when you walk into a room that's dark you see blackness but you see nothing but the moment your eyes adjust you realize it's not really dark at all you start to see silhouettes dimensions to the room you can see where the wall is that's that little spark of light that's always there. Let's talk about, we're going to, you know what I'm thinking now, journey years, you know, we, we typically do our after show. I didn't ask Alex to do the after show, but I might want to take you over there if you can spare the time. Cause I, I could see this would go deep and you know, we do uncensored over there. We have to be relatively polite here, but we don't have to be there. So you want to do the after show. This is going to be on, on the spot because we have another treat for the patron journeyers as well. So I'm going to ask Are you right you now, the spot. can we do 15, 20 minutes in the after show? We'll wind it down here, then go over there, go next door. Lexus. Okay. Absolutely. Are you That's kidding? Yeah. Okay, cool. So we're going to bring up a couple more points. I'm going to make an announcement. Then we're going over to the after show and I hope you follow us over there. Now you talk about transmutation, or I, I think that's the word, that's the word that I'm inclined to use the ability to transmute dark into light. I say we're alchemists at our core. So the question becomes, does evil really have a purpose to perhaps take that muscle that's been atrophied for so long, that being the ability to alchemize dark into light? Could that be the reason, in part, why evil as we understand it exists in your estimation? You know, it, it all depends on how far you want to climb up the metaphysical ladder or how far you want to climb down it, which you obviously know the answer to your question, which is that at the end of the day, it's hard to think about any of this stuff as not being you generated, you uh part, it's all you, right? It's all your conscious experience. That's why people like, I interviewed this wonderful guy. He's a, a lucid dreaming uh, a trainer and coach and has a Buddhist. And he studied with his Buddhist master, uh, the art of lucid dreaming, the science of lucid dreaming as the Buddhists understand it. And his teacher told him to go into these hell realms the hell realms, the most evil realms. And it was horrific for him. And he had to face these things. But ultimately, his lesson, and again, you know, like you, we don't, we don't come down firmly and say, this is the answer. But this was his experience, that when he fully embraced, and when he ran to the demon, and tried to hug it with love, the demon disappeared. It just went away. And it just, mm -hmm. is that young over on my, the corner of my shoulder? What did Jung tell us? You know, Absolutely. Carl Jung was saying, it's your shadow. And at the same time, he was saying, yeah, demons are real, man. I mean, angels are real, but ultimately it's our experience. So are, are we fundamentally responsible for everything? Yep. That Why is, would we want is, it any other way? That's about as metaphysical as it can get. Now, when you sit, and I'm sure there are moments like with myself where you sit and ponder these ideas, we've entertained them 
for years. I still do not have a definitive answer, but man, is that a rabbit hole. I've, I used to do a lot of shows, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, with my beloved late friend, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. I miss her dearly, who was an expert on not just the paranormal, but she went into those little dark corners that included studying what are known as the jinn or shadow people. <clears throat> Forgive me. And I've done several shows with her on the shadow of being phenomenon. Haven't for quite some time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, lose my voice here. And in my study of this enigma, we call the shadow being phenomenon, very common, Alex, far more com common than I had known previously. My question would always come up, could the shadow being that we're looking at uh, something external to us be an aspect of us that we're being forced to face, the shadow self? So are these beings at some level being created by us, or at least being brought into fruition by us, which will lead me, let's talk for a minute about the tulpa, this very enigmatic process that was uh, uh, made known by the uh, Tibetan Buddhist culture, ancient Tibetan Buddhist, and I don't know if you know the name, uh, Alexandra David Neal, I believe, is who studied uh, the the process of creating a tulpa. Why don't you talk about that? Because you mentioned that in the book. I, I've always found the tulpa very uh, fascinating phenomenon. And our friend Rob McGregor just wrote a book on uh, tulpas. Yes, he sure did. Um, yeah. I like to, uh, again, we're just soulmates here. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> I like to look at tulpas a little more metaphorically than a lot of people do. I don't like to get into the uh, strict Buddhist interpretation of how they're formed and that there's 37 different kinds. And, you know, to me, it seems like what I call backdoor materialism. You know, we're trying to get away from this idea that we can measure everything and count everything. And then we start introducing numbers like how many different kinds of spirit entities there are and stuff like that. The larger point that you're alluding to that seems to resonate with me, not just from the Buddhist tradition, but the Buddhist tradition is a wonderful job of it, is that we are co-creators of this reality. So that doesn't exclude the possibility that there are shadow forces that are real in essence, you know, but our, I love the way that you put it and I can't recapture it, but our interaction, our coexistence with them is tied up with us and it is in within our power to disentangle that and maybe disentangle it in a way that is necessary for us to move forward personally and you know the problem with all this stuff is it starts sounding really airy and and but that's okay because i that's also want to na yeah, well i or like nailing it <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, I like balancing it with the other part too, you know, like when we're going to talk about real science and that 96% of people have a near-death experience, no longer fear death and fear, de fear of death is the number one fear that most people have. That's a hard stat. The amount of people that experience uh, love in a near-death experience is off the charts it's usually people talk about tunnels and they'll talk about all these other things, but people experience God and they experience a hierarchy of consciousness that they identify as God and they experience love. So back to the Tulpa thing, we're not, I don't think we need to nail that down other than to say that we all, not all of us, but a lot of us, we get a sense that we're co-creators of this reality, that our lucid dream, we're kind of creating that. Our synchronicity, we're kind of in in dance with that in a way we don't. To, do, do you do you agree with that? That we're dancing with that. I, I think all of this is a is a dance on a stage in a play. I, I feel, I sense. Those are the the the, the words I like to use in front of. Uh, I cannot say definitively, but I feel that we are in a, a, an orchestrated. We're we're both the the player and the the conductor. Yeah, we're in a dance somehow. Orchestrated is an awesome word to add in there that I, I love. I'm using that because I think I heard it from somewhere else. There's nothing new under the sun, but it's true. It feels like a grand orchestra with lots of players. A dance indeed. We need to wind this down, but now that I know we're not gonna 
finish the conversation here, we're going over to Patreon to talk about it. That's that's a great thing. So let me say this uh, before we leave the main show, Journeyers. Alex was kind enough. This book, by the way, is... I, I'm digging in. This is definitely going to be uh, at the top of my winter reading list. It's and it's not a dark book. It's really about it's about life. It's about understanding the nature of reality, and this is an ingredient in that that we can transmute. Alex is kind enough to give all of our patrons a sample chapter, and it's a deep one. I think I my, the request that I had was for, speaking of trans uh, transmuting, transcending evil, which is really the spiritual part of this, not the spiritual part of the book, but certainly really hones in on uh, the spiritual aspect of what we can do uh, constructively with quote-unquote evil. So that chapter plus the intro will be uh, – ready for our patrons to download and read. And then when the book comes out, which will be in, tell us what the, what the details are quickly. Hoping the end of January, because we kind of stumbled out of the gates, you know, like a guy coming out of the thing. But yeah, January. It's juicy, guys. I can tell you, I, just by perusing it, I know it, it's heavy. And, you know, when your um, lovely person, can I give a shout out to, is it Devin? Yes. Devin, who reached out to me from New Zealand? South Africa. Or South Africa. I thought I saw an NZ at the end. Anyway, he's been uh, great to stay in touch with me and get, get you on the show, schedule you in. And when he gave me sort of the parameters for the book and actually gave me a, a, a review copy, I'm like, oh, this is going to be deep. I don't know if I'm going to be able to dig into this. Uh, it would be a little a while because some books you, you don't just read and just go through, you study. This is one of those books. And the fact that it's a book that's comprised largely of the wonderful portfolio you have of, of rich guests with varied subjects that, that you were able to weave into this big question is really brilliant. So kudos to you. I'm really excited for when it comes out. So, but in the you meantime, are so nice. No, it's not about being nice. I wouldn't, I would not. Now, look, Alex, my namesake. Come on now. <laughs> it's a good book, guys. So, listen, we got a bunch of stuff happening over on Patreon. Come get your, your uh, sample chapter, which I think is substantial, the intro. And we're going to take this as the after show. No holds barred over there. So come on over. So right now I'm going to say thank you, Alex, for gracing our presence on Higher Journeys. And thank you, Journeyers. We always appreciate and love you. And it is about the light always. A-L-L hyphen W-A-Y-S in always. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>